Hey, High Priestess, welcome back to another episode of The, the Spiritual, Spiritual Gaze. Gaze. I'm Brandon. And I'm Angel. And this is our twice monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. But if it does make sense to you out there in listener land, please feel free to reach out because we'd love to know. Yeah, we love to know how you're putting this all together in your own special way. Yeah, because we have no clue. Well, and that's also the point of having your own <laughs> spiritual practice is that you take bits and pieces from wherever you can. And if it makes sense to you in your own intimate way, then that is what becomes the foundation of how you practice living a spiritual life. Exactly. So we're just out here in these streets telling you uh, what's come across, uh, you know, our lives and how we've been piecing it together. And hopefully some of this shit resonates. Yeah, 100%. I keep going back to what Angel's acupuncturist said when we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. And he said, when you find the work that fixes you, that's the sort of work you're supposed to do. Yes, shout outs, Russell Brown. Yes, Russell Brown. So we are here just to share the work that has fixed us, and hopefully it will have value to you. And let's be real, it's still in the process of fixing us. We are not fixed. Well, nothing is ever fixed, right? Exactly. It's temporary. Yeah. So you have to remember that as well, that you're, there's no you know, desired outcome here of complete enlightenment. I mean, maybe if you are a monk living on a mountaintop, maybe <laughs> you've reached it. But we are not those people. <laughs> also, I think enlightenment, and we'll talk about this in our deep dive today, but enlightenment is this state that you are constantly coming into and then leaving. It's a spiral. Mm -hmm. It's a cycle. Yeah. And let's face it, we're living in the sort of day-to-day -day real world, in quotes, uh, where you have to go and work a job and do a thing and pay taxes and all that jazz. So our whole ideology here is how do you navigate that uh, while still staying grounded in some sort of soulful living practice. Yeah, and I would say that soulful living practice is the real world and everything else, like your bills and your taxes and your family and your house, that's the fake world that we've all agreed to is true. Well, that's the yeah, real world end quotes. Yes, exactly. So it's good to have at least your finger on the pulse of the true the essence of what we're doing here so that you can have a little bit of perspective when it seems like things in the fake world are getting challenging. Yeah, the only real world I ever really liked were seasons one and two. <laughs> Beyond that, I think it got a little crazy for Oh me. no, I loved New Orleans. That was like right around when I was coming out and there was a gay guy on real world New Orleans and oh, yeah, it was see, very I, significant for I me. missed the New Orleans one because I think at that point I, I had already, I was out in the world. Yeah. But I was also... <laughs> older than you so that's true speaking of i was also in college probably. who are you let's introduce ourselves hey everyone i'm angel lopez i'm a film producer executive i am a writer and i am an astrologer and you're my husband and i am your husband for about two and a half years now yeah it's very true and beyond that who the fuck are you uh who <laughs> the fuck am i who the fuck are you sir i'm brandon alter i am a healer i am a tarot reader and teacher and i'm also a writer and an actor and uh and also i don't know who the hell i am nah <laughs> every day as the day uh, yeah it shows gets up. it gets more and more mysterious as it moves forwards uh well ain't that the way 
So if you've never listened to The Spiritual Gaze before, we're going to do a little check-in. We're going to do a little segment that we call The Spiritual Gaze Mailbag and answer some questions that have been coming in. And then the deep dive for today's episode is all about the Major Arcana. And the Major Arcana are 22 cards in the tarot that speak to uh, the journey that we take from innocence to enlightenment and then back again. And the journey that we take uh, every day, every year, and in our lifetime. Yeah, and it's crazy because, yeah, we've almost been doing this a year now, and we have not done a show uh, on tarot. So I'm really excited to at least break into it. We can't get too in-depth because it's such a massive undertaking to look at the entire tarot in one session. So, you know, we're just going to give you a little, you know, opening to it all. Yeah, I mean, to be real, each and every one of these major arcana cards, I could probably spend a whole episode talking about. Yep. But just to talk about the entire set of them and what is the major arcana, because it is this brilliant masterpiece of you know contemporary thought and spirituality, mm-hmm. and I just want to make it accessible to you outside of whether or not you're pulling cards, what is the major arcana? So that's what we'll deep dive into cool. later. Cool, yeah. I'm excited. All right, well, let's just do a quick check-in, babes. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to going away for a couple days. I'm going to take the dog out to the desert tomorrow, and it'll just be the two of us kind of hanging out. Um, definitely in need of some like reconnection to spirit and to myself. Definitely needing to like fill up my own cup. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because I am continuing to learn how to take care of myself as I expand my healing and tarot business and take care of other people. And it just starts to feel like, I'm working every day, whether it's a Monday or a Sunday, and that's starting to wear on me. And so I am looking forward to just kind of shutting down completely and taking some time to kind of reorganize what's really important to me and set some new goals. Uh, I've been giving a lot of readings recently, and one of the things that's been coming up is all about just that our goals are our power. Like when you know where you're heading, that can really empower you. And right now, I don't really know where I'm heading and I don't really know what my big goals are. Um, I think some of that is because like we came into the new year and then Noche got sick and that kind of derailed everything or it derailed my intentions. And now that we're kind of moving out of that tunnel and he is well and almost recovered, I'm kind of sitting here and like, okay, so you still have like eight months of the year left. What are you really wanting to achieve and do in a means of kind of reclaiming some of my power? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to having the time and the space to allow those new visions and those new goals to enter in. Well, that's good. That's exciting. Yeah. And what about you, honey? What's going on with you? Uh, Well, with me, I guess in a way, too, I'm obviously feeling almost like it's finally the new year because, like you said, uh, for us, we had a new year and then sort of got derailed a bit with the dog. Um, So now that he is coming out of it, I am feeling um, like there is a sense of renewal trying to happen. Uh, We did just get back from a little vacay in Austin, which was super fun and uh, allowed me to sort of fully release all the pent up tension that I'd had from some of the nochi biz and some work biz and my uncle's passing, um, just everything that came up with that. I feel like I was able to just like release it all in a really fun way. It's definitely nice to be back from that and now just hoping to 
establish a new routine for myself that, you know, I think really helps strengthen where I want to head. You know, you were speaking about goals and yeah, I'm definitely feeling that too with like everything that's going on too, as we've mentioned in the past about Saturn and Pluto and Capricorn and so much there around like transition change and with the Capricorn element, the sort of setting goals and intentions for the bigger picture. Uh, I'm definitely paying attention to that too and really feeling a sense of like, okay, what do I want to achieve uh, and what does that really mean? So definitely also uh, in that same boat of, all right, what 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 will that uh, look like uh, moving forward? And, and what do I really want to feel uh, moving forward? So uh, yeah, excited to continue to deflate my ego and inflate my spirit. Mm, that's beautiful. Working hard on it, sister. My therapist recently sent out a little newsletter that mm-hmm. was talking about basically that there are two mountains in our life that we're always climbing, and uh-huh. one is the mountain of ego and one is the mountain of spirit. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept that for you know at least the first third of our life, unless we're super conscious, mm-hmm. we're letting our ego kind of be that mountain we're climbing, the oh, things yeah. that we want to prove and status and achievement. And then at a certain point, you kind of realize the emptiness of that oh, pursuit completely. and you start to climb the other mountain which is the mountain of spirit or the mountain of like your soul's purpose mm-hmm. and it's definitely a countercultural approach to say the least i bet and i feel like what i've really been noticing is just how much just phone culture inflates that ego mountain you know that it it strengthens that climb because it's almost for me the constant voice of everything of my emails and my social media then translates to the voice that's in my head. Yeah. So I've become so much more aware of just how much it rambles <laughs> when I'm in my meditation. So to then see, well, if that's how strong it is in my meditation, how strong is this thing when I'm not paying attention to it? And what is it gearing me towards? So really trying to, yeah, turn that mountain into a flatland. <laughs> trying to get that shit into the Sahara because I'm done. Should we open up the spiritual gaze mailbag? Should we see what sort of questions have been coming in? Yeah, let's do it. So we're going to open up the, the spiritual gaze mailbag. All right, so Angel posted on the Insta stories last week asking for some questions, and we got a couple of great ones. So we just wanted to take a few moments and answer some of these questions. So first question coming in was asking about uh, stelliums and what is uh, a stellium and what uh, sort of influence does it have in your chart? So a stellium is when you have three or more planets um, or like the North Node or an asteroid in one house in one sign in your chart. And basically, this is a supercharged part of your chart. And if you have a stellium anywhere in your chart, you may be giving off more of that energy than the energy of your sun or your moon or your mm-hmm. rising. But it's also not unusual that you might have a stellium that includes your sun and your moon 
or you're rising. So when you look at your chart, and this is not something that everybody has, not everyone has a stellium, uh, but you would just look at your chart and you would see, oh, is there a cluster anywhere? And if you have a cluster of three or more, like I said, planets or asteroids or like the north or south node, and it's in the same house in the same sign, if you have three planets in the same house, but in a different signs, or if you have three planets in the same signs, but a different house, that's not a stellium. Um, they have to be essentially three heavenly bodies that all have the exact same energetic force. And that's why it is such a supercharged part of your chart is because you've got at least three characters all kind of speaking the same language. Yeah. So as you said, the it not only sort of can make you come across with more of that energy, but... It's very important to pay attention to what house that is because that area of life is incredibly amplified as well. So, for example, I have a stellium in Aries in my first house. Mm -hmm. And so it like supercharges the part of me that's all about me, which is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Only when you're really first housing. Yeah. Well, it just goes, I mean, to talk about Ego Mountain. In an unconscious way, a stellium in the first house would be completely self-obsessed and completely self-absorbed. Yeah, girl, she's free soloing that mountain. Whereas, you know, a little bit of consciousness around a first house stellium can actually be about releasing the ego to be Mm -hmm. of more service. Yeah. And so that's definitely what I'm trying to move more and more into. You balance between the two beautifully. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely ricochet, (laughs) I would say, between the two. Do you have a stellium in an hour? Anywhere in your chart? Uh, I don't have a a technical stellium, no. Got it. Mm -mm. Yeah. So that that was the first question, all about stelliums. Uh, And you guys, Angel and I are working on a book proposal. Oh, shit. Our first book collaboration. It's going to be all about astrology. Because you wouldn't hear it anywhere else. Can we share the title? Not yet. Okay, we're not going to share the title. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but we love these astrology questions because they really help us um, figure out, you know, what things to talk about as we're yeah moving through this adventure. All right, so this next question is about relocated astrology, and I'm not going to pretend that Angel and I are experts on relocated astrology, but we can certainly talk about it a little bit. And relocated astrology is just speaking to the fact that depending on where in the world you are, it might change your rising sign or your houses or where things are clustered in your chart. And so the question um, came in with a little uh, direct message, which just kind of elaborates, which just kind of says, uh, I recently heard that your chart changes when you move overseas. I've lived overseas for five years and checked my birth charts for the two new places and noticed only the house has changed. So essentially, nothing else changes except for your rising sign, which does change the house placement. Um, And then this person went on to say, uh, does this mean that I'm not a Gemini rising anymore? Is rising defined by your birthplace or the place you are now? So, of course, where you are born is what your rising sign is. That's not going to change. But if you do move somewhere else and that changes your rising sign, it would add a little bit of that energy to it, which I've definitely experienced. For example, I'm an Aries rising, but we were just in Austin, which would make me a Pisces rising when we're in Austin. I definitely felt a little bit more of that energy. Um, Mm. So it's a little bit of a marriage between the two. And the way you would do this, if you're at all interested, is just when you pull up a chart, put in your time, date, and place of birth, but then change the place to see what would happen if you lived in New York or if you lived in Barcelona or South Africa. Um, And that gives you a little taste of, uh, you know, relocated astrology, essentially. Yeah, because then you can sort of move into astrocartography, which then sort of 
crafts like axis maps for all the different planetary energies based on when you were born, uh, which, as Brandon mentioned, like neither of us are experts on, but it's incredibly fascinating. Uh, so you can actually sort of see which areas um, your Pluto energy is amplified or your Jupiter energy is amplified. Um, so even something like Astro.com has... Uh, a place there where you can go and sort of look at the map and click on it and get a sense of what kind of energies are mostly at play for you. Uh, I, I was telling Brandon that when I first got to see one of those many, many, many years ago, um, and I was like super crazy and still learning, like I was convinced that I should go nowhere where my Pluto line was because I just like, thought like it was going to be way too intense and scary. You thought that's where you're going to die. You thought yeah, if you crossed basically. your Pluto line, you would die. Well, and I'm still convinced I should not go to Sao Paulo. <laughs> <laughs> though it does look gorgeous uh but uh but yeah so th that's a whole other realm of it too that is really interesting and fun to play with and i definitely want to learn more so if anyone out there has any good resources i want to expand into that space and then the last question that we're going to answer here today uh, this is a double question it says ways to protect our energy as empaths readers not like in a tinfoil on the head way <laughs> and also bringing your animal baby into your spiritual practice no. so i'll start with the first part of that question which is just ways to protect our energy as empaths or readers and i would say even if you're not an empath or a reader um still important to protect your energy Crystals are a great way to do this. There are lots of great crystals that can help kind of uh, reinforce your boundary. Mm -hmm. Crystals like black tourmaline, smoky quartz. Uh, there's a great crystal that I'm obsessed with these days called Aegirine, A-E-G-I-R-I-N-E. -I -I -E. It's kind of like super protection. Oh, and I want to mention selenite because oh, I constantly yeah. use selenite whenever I do readings. It's just a good cleansing stone. Yeah, it's a great clearing stone. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways to think about this, you know, one is having a boundary. If you have a really good boundary, you're not going to need to clear yourself as often because your boundary is taking care of that for you. Um, but if, you know, things slip through your boundary or if your boundary is a little shoddy, then it's good to have a clearing practice to clear the things that you've absorbed. And let's be real, we're human beings. We're very porous. We're like sponges. And whether or not you're aware of it, you're walking through the day, you're walking through your life and you're picking things up. Yeah, so, no one's boundaries that strong. Yeah, well, and we're <laughs> built to absorb. So it's important that we spend time releasing. And one of my great little tricks that I learned from my teacher, David Elliott, is just to ask your body to release whatever isn't yours. So this is something I do almost all the time, especially if I'm walking into a really like populated place. I'll go, body, please release whatever isn't mine. Body, please release whatever isn't mine. Body, please release whatever isn't mine. And immediately I can start to feel the anxiety or the tension slip away. And all I'm left with is whatever is truly and authentically my own energy. So that's a great little tip that you can use at any time. But just having a boundary visualization practice can solve a lot of this. So each and every one of us have an intelligent boundary. I imagine it as like an egg-shaped ball or, you know, egg-shaped uh, sphere of light. It can be any color light that you like. I like to work with gold or white or silver. And you literally just visualize this boundary. And your boundary is intelligent. It knows what to let in. It knows what to keep out. It knows what to keep in. And it knows what to let out. It knows when to shrink in to protect you. It knows when to expand. 
Um, and the more you can visualize this boundary and tend to it, even if you know you don't even believe it at first, the more it really works. And what I do at the end of my boundary visualization is I invite my helping and healing spirits to drop their forms and to reinforce my boundary. And so that's a great way, even if you feel like your boundary is a little shoddy, even if you only have like the bare bones of a boundary, you can invite in your helping and healing spirits and they can really flesh it out for you. But this is something you need to do every day. And the more you do it, the stronger it gets. There you go. Uh, And then the second part of this question, bringing your animal baby into your spiritual practice. Something well, you certainly are very familiar with. Yeah. Noche is very much a part of my spiritual practice. He's definitely a part of my one-on-one healings. He's in the room when I do tarot or energy healing. And I always feel like he is able to help guide me in a lot of ways um, to what needs to be done. Eckhart Tolle calls animals guardians of being. Mm. And I think that if you have an animal, it is a spiritual practice because animals live in the present. Yeah. And so they help you to come into the present moment. Uh, But if you do work as a healer or a reader or in any sort of spiritual capacity, your animal definitely can act as a familiar and help you. Mm -hmm. I know that Noche starts barking like 10 minutes before a client comes over to the house. Like he can feel their energy before they show up. Same. And so I feel like I don't know exactly what he's doing, whether he's clearing or just starting to like read their energy or what have you. But he is he is processing before I'm even consciously processing. Well, it's funny. I always look at it because I tend to invite whoever's coming over. I tend to invite their like angels and ancestral spirits. Like I always tend to invite that energy in in advance. Uh, and so as soon as they're here, that's who Noche's barking That's at. how I look at it. That's cute. That, oh, they're on the, they're, they're already coming through or yeah. that energy's coming through. So Noche is like sensing it, um, you know, even before I can. Yeah. If you are interested in bringing your animal baby into your spiritual practice, you really should just be asking them how they want to be involved. Totally. Uh, because every animal's going to have their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and just look in those soulful eyes. They'll communicate to you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think it's time to dive deeply in, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So let's head into this episode's Deep, Deep Dive. dive. Oh. All right. So today we are talking about the major arcana in tarot. So the tarot is composed of 78 cards, and 22 of those 78 cards are called the Major Arcana, which translates very loosely to Greater Secrets. Oh, I thought it was Baddest Bitches. Ah, yes, the Baddest Bitches of the deck. (laughs) And then the Minor Arcana would be the Not-Quite-So-Bad Bitches of the deck. Got it. Translating to Lesser Secrets, but as I always say, still secrets nonetheless. So, you know... Uh, But the majors, you know, they are these larger archetypal energies. They Mm -hmm. are the most exciting and they really are the what I would consider the core of the tarot. And what the major arcana cards do is they provide us a map um, and they chart our journey from innocence to enlightenment and then back again. That's Mm -hmm. one way to think about it. Um, And in the same way that like we can prepare for the weather by like knowing what season it is, you know, like if it's summer, then we're going to wear like our short shorts and our tank tops. The major arcana, they can kind of give us a context for where we are in our own process of awakening. 
Mm-hmm. And the way I think about these cards is that they literally are the 22 seasons of existence. And we kind of cycle through these seasons many times in our life. Um, even in the course of this one podcast, we are cycling through the entire major arcana. And you can use the major arcana to apply to your life, but also to apply to a creative project. You know, where in the archetypal processes of becoming is this creative expression coming from? And so the major arcana can kind of immediately pinpoint where on the path you are. Another way to think about it is like the phases or the states of matter, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. you know, like water evaporates, it becomes air, and then it, you know, becomes ice. And there's all these phases of existence that it moves through. And the Major Arcana kind of charts these these phases of existence. Uh, It is a pretty brilliant system, and it can be applied to pretty much anything. Right, And so what I thought we would do today is just kind of talk through the entire journey. It's a spiral, meaning that as soon as you complete it, you go a little bit deeper in and you go a little bit further out and it just keeps going and it just keeps growing. Hey, real fast too. Yeah. just an idea is while we go through this, if you do have a tarot deck handy, pull out the major account of cards and just kind of follow along with us uh, because it could be interesting too to see if you have different symbols that pop up while we're talking that resonate for you. Um, and if not, then, you know, you can always uh, shoot us a little question and have a conversation. But Yeah, but that's a really good idea because remember, this is the whole system. And so we want to look at it holistically as a continuum of experience, not just like one card at a time. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a great thing for you is to look at it as a whole as we do move through it one portal at a time. All right, cool. Let's get to it. So when I teach the major arcana, and this comes from Rachel Pollock, who is an amazing tarot scholar. She's pretty much devoted her life to this work. Uh, And if you're interested in reading some of her teachings, there's a great book called 78 Degrees of Wisdom, or there's also um, another book called Tarot Wisdom. Um, And so what she does is she breaks up the major arcana into three lines of seven cards. So she takes the fool. The fool card is the very first card of the major arcana. It's number zero. And she puts the fool to the side because she says the fool is actually who is taking this journey. So we're all the fool as we move through the journey of our lives. And then she takes the 21 cards left over and she separates them into three lines. Essentially, the first seven cards are the lifeline. And that first line is where we are learning what it means to be human and where in the world are we. The second line is the death line. And that's about ego death. It's about kind of killing off some of the false conceptions that we learned in that first line. And then the third line is the rebirth line, where we return to physical reality, but from a more spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. And so just through knowing what these three lines are, It really helps give you a sense of, oh, yeah, where am I right now in my process of becoming? Am I in the death line? Am I in the rebirth line? Or am I in just that first lifeline? So the fool is who takes the journey. The fool is the energy that comes in at birth, pure and untarnished. And Rachel Pollock always says, the fool doesn't know fear because the fool never learned fear. And so the fool card is really before the conditioning begins. I love the fool card because, you know, that idea of just being foolish, (laughs) Uh, uh, really like naive to, you know, what could come, what could happen, 
But it's such pure innocence that there's no like negative connotation to that, which was what I think is interesting. The idea of the fool is something that we would look at negatively on right. some well, level. The but fool here is it's a not fool that. to us because we've got all the societal conditioning. We've got our categorization and our good and bad. Right. But in but in tarot, he's very much or she, you know, the fool <laughs> entity is very much just that essence of pure being. Right. It's when you decide to take a risk. Yeah. And I even like sort of looking at this, the major arcana as like the hero's journey, you know, coming from like that sort of Joseph Campbell mentality. Uh, So the idea of the fool as hero on a journey, I think, is a way to help bolster what the idea of that is. Yeah, absolutely. And the fool, because they have no judgment, categorization, expectation, they can enjoy wherever on the map of the major arcana they are. The fool enjoys being in the hierophant as much as the fool would enjoy being with the devil. Right. Because the fool, it's literally just, oh, what's here now? What's yeah. happening? It's very much that like Dorothy Gale opening the door to Oz yeah. energy. Uh, and the fool is connected to the planet Uranus. And what I think is actually really magical about the Major Arcana is that each one of these cards connects to either a sign or a planet. And there are exactly enough cards to allow for all of that. And these cards were designed before we even knew that there were planets like Uranus, Neptune, or Pluto. Mm-hmm. So that's a really cool thing that I always think about is like yeah. the cards, the system was created in such an intuitive way that there was space for the planets that hadn't yet been discovered. Mm-hmm. So the fool is Uranus. Uranus, we know creativity, chaos, and change. And so you do have to be you know, kind of foolish to want to change something, to create over, to give into that divine chaos. And the fool also, as the number zero, is the giant goose egg, allows spirit to move through. The fool is a vessel for whatever the journey wants to be. Mm -hmm. And then we move into the magician. So the magician is number one. Magician is divine masculine. Magician is the beginning. When we connect it to the planet Mercury, start to claim what we want. So remember that we're co-creating our life with spirit. And the magician is when we say, this is what I want. This is my dream. This is my goal. Magician is also putting yourself out there mm-hmm. and being seen for what you want to create. Mm-hmm. Because then we move into the high priestess, which is the retreat. If the magician is daytime, the high priestess is nighttime. Mm. If the magician is active, the high priestess is passive. It's receiving. The high priestess is very psychic. She sits between the worlds and she has access to what's on the other side of the veil. So the magician is like here and now. What do we want to create? Physical reality. And then the high priestess is everything that can't be seen. That's interesting because I always looked at the magician as sort of being like, you know, the keeper of the toolbox, you know, like, oh, here are all the tools that I need in order to, you know, make my way through this journey. Yeah. Uh, But I love sort of looking at the magician and the priestess, the high priestess as sort of hand in hand in a way that he's got the tangible toolbox and she's got sort of the that spiritual metaphysical toolbox. Exactly. Like, oh, and here are all the other things, the unseen things that you're also going to need for this journey. Exactly. And that's why, regardless of your gender or anything else about your personal identity, everybody moves through all of these phases. Right. If you want to have a complete experience of being alive. Of course, some people shortchange themselves. Some people don't take the full journey. They get stuck at certain places along the way. But ideally, we all give ourselves permission to experience these 22 seasons of our own experience of becoming. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So after the high priestess is the empress. And when I teach this, I say, you know, because it was pretty much a lot of like straight dudes that were creating the tarot, they only needed one card to speak to divine masculine, but they needed two cards to speak to divine feminine because to straight men in the medieval times, women were very mysterious. They couldn't quite pin them down into one archetype. So if the high priestess is the maiden aspect of sacred feminine, the virginal, aloof, mysterious expression of divine feminine, then the empress is the passionate, sensual, maternal expression of what it means to be woman. And I talk about mother both in tenderness and ferocity, the way that we know mothers can be. The empress is also very much connected to the earth, the ultimate mother. The Empress really invites us back to physical reality, to be here in a good way, and to make sure that our goals and our ambitions, the magician, and our ability to intuit and be connected to the spiritual planes, the high priestess, have a place to merge and be together. And Empress energy also reminds us to be passionate and to be sensual. Yeah, uh, she's connected to the planet Venus. So there's very much all of those themes of beauty... Uh, yeah, sensuality, sensitivity, all of those things that, but grounded in that sort of real world way, like you said. And so in a lot of ways, we can think of the empress as kind of like big mommy, and then the emperor is big daddy. And so what we're really seeing here is like, okay, like if you imagine that you're a child moving through these phases of existence, these are your first conditionings, essentially. Mm. Sacred masculine, sacred feminine, and then the specific mommy and daddy energy. So the emperor energy is where we claim ourselves as we are, and we give ourselves back our own authority. The emperor literally has an empire, and you, exactly as you are, have an empire that you are in some way building. And the emperor gives us permission to tap into that energy of entitlement that is at this moment in time, reserved only for the patriarchy. But whenever I'm sitting across from somebody and the emperor shows up, I say, you have to give yourself permission to be as entitled to take up space in your life as, you know, a lot of cisgendered straight white men are just based on the color of their skin and their sexual orientation, right? The emperor says that no matter who you are or what you are, you have a right to take up space. And so that's a really important place to be. Uh, the emperor really speaks to society as the empress speaks to nature. So it's really interesting to think about like, oh, the empress is moving through the portal of the natural world and the emperor is moving through the portal of society at large. And then that brings us to the hierophant, which is moving through religion and moving through culture. The hierophant uh, connected to Taurus, the emperor connected to Aries. The hierophant, it comes from the word hierophantos, and that's a Greek word, and they were... Uh, the priests that would conduct the mystery rites. Um, and we could think of the Hierophant also as like the shaman or uh, even as tradition. The Hierophant is really the exoteric structures that allow for esoteric wisdom. And by that, I just mean that the cards themselves facilitate intuition and mystery, but they are a physical practice. Um a church is a physical structure, and when you're in it, you can have a mystical experience. So the Hierophant is where we start to learn and create how to contain the mysteries of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love my uh, the deck that I use, the Toth deck, has this uh, larger image of this man 
our male figure sort of as the hierophant, but there is sort of this female figure holding like this sort of cipher of light in the center of him. So uh, I, what I love about that is that there is almost some sense of ancient wisdom that's present there. And I also love that it just has sort of that like feminine aspect to it. It's, yeah. It's multidimensional. For sure. And the hierophant is always about deepening your learning around esoteric teachings so that you can be one of those priests that facilitate initiation for others. Yeah. So when I, whenever somebody's sitting across from me and they've pulled the hierophant, I go, it's not about learning for your own sake. It's about learning so that you can teach others. Yeah, so that you can be a foundation, Taurus. Mm, yeah, exactly. And so after those five influences, you know, divine masculine, divine feminine, nature, society, culture, then we get to the lovers. And the lovers is really about individuation. It's puberty. It's when we start to decide what do we want outside of all of our conditioning. And in a lot of ways, I would say that our society as it is right now is in a lover's moment because we're all waking up and realizing how conditioned we've been. And now what are we going to choose moving forwards? So the lovers connected to Gemini about choice, this or that, mm -hmm. either or. How are we going to choose to move through the world? And then the last card of this first line, the lifeline, is the chariot. And the chariot really does speak to ego mountain. And it's the things that your ego wants to feel secure, success and status, ambition. The chariot isn't a bad card connected to cancer. Um, it's literally about what is the vehicle for your life? So the chariot speaks to the work that you have to do, but also it speaks to like, what is the vehicle for your soul's purpose? What is the container that you're going to use to get your work out in the world? Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the first line. And the reason it's the end of the first line is because a lot of people spend their whole life stuck in the chariot. Right. Right. Just like chasing more Instagram followers, more money, more ego fulfillment. And it never ends, though. The interesting thing I have learned about it being related to cancer is, you know, there's so much about home and family, uh, particularly home in cancer. And the idea of trying to f make yourself comfortable where you are is so important to the chariot energy. But we are always in such a forward movement progression in, in our day-to-day -day lives of, you know, well, this is going to make us feel comfortable. Well, this is where I'll finally feel comfortable if I achieve this much or attain that much. Um, but so you can get constantly sucked into that as opposed to just kind of grounding into or just be present in this space that you're in now, make a home here now. Yeah, I would say without awareness of that deeper yearning, you can just get stuck in a cycle that just goes from the magician to the chariot and back again, right? Mm -hmm. Because the magician is like, here's my goal, and the chariot's like, goal achieved. Mm -hmm. And then you just go back, oh, how about another goal? Oh, goal achieved. But right. then there are 14 more cards that you may never experience, those 14 seasons of your own essence that you never get to touch. All right, so what are those? So the chariot, once we decide to leave that comfortable place, takes us into strength. Mm -hmm. And strength is not the strength of like big muscles. It's the strength to go against society, to go against the grain. It's the strength required to kind of tune into your own heart and go, what do I really want out of my life beyond the validation of other people and externals? I always talk about the strength card as the realization that there has to be more to life than this. And strength is where we decide to turn inwards. It's the first card of the death line. Mm. 
So what we're killing off is the ego in a lot of ways or the identity that we've become so attached to. Strength is having the strength required to take that first step inwards. Mm. Before you move forward, can we talk about the fact that in some decks, it's not the strength card that comes next? The strength card and the justice card, Mm -hmm. which are essentially the eighth and the 11th card, were reversed in like the 1900s in the Rider weight deck, which is kind of the gold standard for contemporary tarot reading. Mm-hmm. Before that, it went Justice, Hermit, Wheel of Fortune, Strength, and then Rider switched it, so it goes Strength, Hermit, Wheel of Fortune, Justice. So I guess we can talk about these two cards at the same time. So if Strength is like turning inwards to mm-hmm. begin, you know, I say it's like the first step on that inward journey. That strength, starting to walk in towards the heart, strength connected to Leo, which is all about what does the heart want. Justice is the understanding of the vision of your life. Mm, Justice mm -hmm. is where we understand what we're really here to do. Justice has a little bit to do with karma, has to do with our own cycles. Justice is kind of that aha moment where you go, oh, that's why I was put on this place at this time with these interests and passions, because this is the sort of work I'm supposed to do for the greater good. Either one of those, justice or strength, can get you out of the chariot. Right. Either that desire to experience more of your heart or that realization that you have a bigger purpose. It's not just about you. So for me personally, I like working with strength first, you know, as number eight, because for me, it's like the strength to turn into the heart and then the hermit, which is really taking that deep inner journey Finding a teacher, being your own teacher, completely turning away from the outside world. Like the hermit is where you shut off completely so that you are only in that invisible world. And that's why the hermit is right underneath the high priestess. When you line up these three lines, you can see how there are these other relationships. Then after the hermit, after you decide to kind of do that radical approach of turning all the way inwards. Mm -hmm. You get the Wheel of Fortune, which is big change. It's kind of the center of this journey where things shift. It's like Jupiter energy. Exactly. Connected to Jupiter, the Wheel of Fortune. And when I talk about the Wheel of Fortune, I say, well, the outer shift is happening because you started the inner shift two cards ago. Strength is where we start the inner shift. And as Tracy McMillan talked about in our spirit talk, your experience of your life is an outer picturing of your inner experience. So if you've moved through strength in the hermit and you've started to change your inner experience of your life, then of course the outer picturing is going to change and that's the wheel of fortune. Mm -hmm. Then we get to justice and we go, oh, this is what that was all for in the first place. So even if we're talking about this, not in terms of your life, but in terms of like a creative project, you know, the chariots may be like when your book proposal gets approved and now you go, okay, this book is actually going to happen. Like, what is the heart of this book? It's not just so we can like go on a book tour and make some money. It's like, what is the real value, the real offering of this creative project, that strength, and then the hermit diving in. And then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, we have to restructure the book. That's Wheel of Fortune. And then Justice is, oh my gosh, this book is to empower these sorts of people. And that's why we're the right people to write this book, Justice. And then we get to The Hanged Man, connected to Neptune, which is about the complete spiritual surrender required now. Like now you know Mm -hmm. what you're supposed to do. Now you know the path and you have to surrender to it. Yeah. 
And so the hanged man, which is the energy that we're in this year, the hanged man and the empress, is really about surrendering. And I say there are two ways you surrender. You surrender internally to your own authenticity, right? Like you accept yourself completely. You're good, you're bad, you're ugly, and you're gorgeous. But you also surrender externally, right? You have to surrender to the seasons. You have to surrender to divine timing. And the hanged man is when we truly give ourselves permission to be in that beautiful and beatific surrendered state. Yeah, and I would say then that the hangman and the card that follows, the death card, are so intertwined. Uh, specifically in my deck, uh, the hangman is actually hanging over uh, sort of a little pit with a snake in it, which to me is a symbol of transformation. Mm -hmm. So that's that other sort of piece that you need to be preparing yourself or allowing yourself to surrender to, the transformation that wants to take hold right now, uh, which will then really fully take hold when you reach that next space, which is the death. Yeah, the death card. And in my deck, whenever I decide to put that out into the world, it'll be called the death rebirth card. Mm -hmm. Because the fact is, is they're intertwined and you can't have rebirth without death and you can't have death without rebirth. Yeah, Scorpio. There are beginnings hidden in every ending. Yeah. Well, that's always the funny thing about the death card, I find, when people pull it, that you have to immediately explain it that way, yeah. that this is not death, this is rebirth. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, well, it is death. Yes, but it's an opportunity to move through something, to die to an old way of being so exactly. that you can be reborn to a new one. And so really what death is talking about is ego death. It's mm -hmm. when we finally kill off the parts of our identity, of our ego, of the stories we tell ourselves about who we are, what we're doing that no longer serve us. Yeah. And that is and that is a choice, which is why death is underneath the lovers. Because if the lovers is where we choose how we're going to be in the world, we're going to individuate, choose what we love and what we want to do. Death is where we choose to kill off the parts of ourselves that are no longer serving. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the end of the death line, which is with temperance. And so temperance is about the integration of what you've learned. Mm -hmm. Temperance is where you combine properly what you learned in the first line and what you've learned in the second line. The easiest way to talk about temperance is temperance is when your friend talks about this new workout routine or this new book they're reading and they're like super high on it. You know those friends <laughs> who like always have a new thing that's going on? They're like, oh, you have to try these new supplements. You have to try this new book. Like that's temperance. Like when you're high on this new way of being. CrossFit. CrossFit, whatever it is. <laughs> you're like, oh my goddess, I've totally figured it out. Like I've got all the answers and here I am. Yeah. The thing about that is, a, it's annoying as fuck, and b, it doesn't have any <laughs> no, long, no shade, though. and b, it doesn't have any longevity because your enlightenment is only as valuable as how it can be integrated, and that's really what temperance is talking about. Is like you've had this aha moment, but you can't stay there. Yeah, you can't be the Buddha on the mountaintop. You got to be the Buddha in traffic, and that's why the card that follows temperance, the first card of the last line, is the devil. Because the devil is when we return to physical reality. So how many times, like, look, I remember this from any training I've ever gone off and done. Like, like I did my 16-day yoga teacher training, and I was, like, high on spirit. And then I came back to Los Angeles, and within three days, I just, like, crashed landed, you know, back into reality. Mm -hmm. And all of my enlightenment and all of my practices just completely crashed to the dust. And that's part of the devil. It's like where the rubber meets the road. You've got these new awarenesses, but how are you going to integrate them and put them into practice in physical reality? And that is the devil. Yeah, because the de the devil can really be like a strong ego manifestation. There. Yeah. So you come in, it's Capricorn. So you come in sort of feeling like I've got the answers to all the problems now because I've 
you know, been through all of these lessons. Because I'm in quotes, awakened. Exactly. And then you realize that you're just a ego-driven beast <laughs> let loose on a new playing field. Yeah, or what we would maybe call like spiritual bypass, which is basically using spiritual language or knowledge to sidestep your issues as opposed to using it to move all the way through them. Right. But what would you say about the sexuality element of the devil? Because that is a strong piece of it. Yeah, well, the devil is a great card. Like when I pull the devil, it means I'm probably going to like eat too much, drink too much, shop too much, or fuck too much in a day. Like it really is the card that talks to us about physical reality and mm -hmm. about pleasure and about having a body. Mm -hmm. Rachel Pollack says, if our physical bodies are in some way an imprisonment of the spirit, then it must be true that our physical bodies are a gateway to the liberation of the spirit as well. Which is why we talk about, you know, spiritual energy and sexual energy being one and the same thing. And I always talk about the devil in terms of like our addictions and our pleasures. Like, do you have your pleasures or do your pleasures have you? Right. Because we're supposed to be in form. If we weren't supposed to have bodies, we wouldn't have them. We would be in the other world all the time. Mm -hmm. But each and every one of us with a body came in here to learn something that you can only learn through being in form. Right. And so the devil is not besides the point. We have to go through the devil. Also, this last line is where all the juicy cosmic downloads are. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, the devil is the gatekeeper to all of that juicy cosmic knowledge. If you want it, you have to move through the darkness. You have to move through the shadow or else you don't get to any of the light that comes after it. And uh, beyond the devil is another step of shadow <laughs> which is the tower yeah and the tower is kind of that final liberation of the spirit from the clutches of the ego the tower is that last bit of death and again rachel pollock talks about if the devil is the house of the devil then the tower is the house of god or the house of the goddess mm -hmm. and the tower gets a bad rap because it's a little dramatic and it speaks to crises, but really the function of the tower is to liberate you from your self-imposed prisons. The tower comes along and says, listen, you are so much bigger, more expansive and powerful than you've been giving yourself credit for. We are now going to remove all of your comfortable but limiting prisons and ideas and beliefs. Mm -hmm. So the tower is a beautiful card connected to the planet Mars. Mm -hmm. Also, I would say, you know, there's a very Plutonian energy to the tower oh, as definitely. well. Deep soul transformation. But it's it's really about spirit coming in and taking action for you so that you can be fully liberated. Yeah. Um, in my deck that I use, the tower is this mansion. It's gorgeous, but it's built on a cliff that's eroding. And I think that's a great example that like your prisons are comfortable, but they're built on faulty ground. Yeah. And I think the tower welcomes the realization of that. In one of my decks, the tower card is actually called the breakthrough card. Mm. And I think because of that reason of what you just said, that you sort of get Got a, a breakdown to yeah, break through. Exactly. Exactly. But then after the tower, after you've moved through that breakdown. And it's not a pretty one but you get through. Is the star. The star connected to Aquarius and the star is really the card of healing. The star combines all three of the feminine archetypes if we think about maiden, mother, and crone. Mm -hmm. And the star has the wisdom of all of them combined. She's the morning after. She's the morning after, for sure. Um, well, Rachel Pollock actually talks to, uh, she says if the tower is male orgasm, mm -hmm. then the star is female orgasm. Oh. And then the moon card is the strangeness after sex. <laughs> and the sun card is the strengthening of the relationship having moved through that journey. 
What if it's just a one night stand? Then the sun card is your own ability to like feel good when you're doing the walk of shame. And then judgment's an orgy. No. <laughs> stop confusing Sorry, I'm getting people. ahead. I'm getting ahead. So after the crisis of the tower, after the breakdown and the breakthrough is the star, which is basically being transported to the cosmic realm, seeing things through starlight. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, the the visions always of some like a bath type thing. I always feel it's like bathing yourself in cosmic knowledge. Yeah, and it's <laughs> giving yourself permission to fully be healed after moving through this ordeal. Yeah, and looking toward the light. When you've been shrouded in darkness, perhaps, for a bit. Yeah. You actually get that, like, glimpse. Exactly. And I would say, if we think of the star almost as like a burst of cosmic light downloads and knowledge, you only get that by allowing yourself to be shattered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of break yourself as a pot to allow the light in. What's that great quote? Like, an Indian woman, when weaving a blanket, leaves a flaw to let the spirit in? Oh, I haven't heard that, but... And, I like it. Or there's that beautiful practice. Oh, I don't know who does it, um, but like they make somewhere in the East, they make pots and then they crack them oh, and uh -huh. then they put them back together and they use gold to seal. So the cracks are all gold because it's the cracks that are the most beautiful part. Right. I love that. Hey, man, so that's kind of the relationship between tower and star. Um, I mean, and also if we want to take that metaphor of male orgasm and female orgasm, like mm -hmm. the male orgasm is limited it's ejaculatory and mm -hmm. the female orgasm is kind of unlimited and it's a little bit more internal. It's connecting to those more um, vast waters of pleasure and power right. and, you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know because I've was never trying. had a female orgasm. Yeah, he was trying, but then it was like he was out of his depth. <laughs> then we get to the moon. So the moon reflects, the mystery. it reflects and refracts the sun's light. Mm -hmm. So the moon is what is only visible in the nighttime. And it speaks to our subconscious, our unconscious shadow work, it speaks to mystery, intuition. It's Pisces. it's Pisces. It's literally the psychic soup that you always, you know, hear us talking about. So how does that, how do you step from the star into the moon? Well, that's kind of what happens, right? Is like you step into deeper spiritual waters and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then you take one more step and you're like, I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm <laughs> right. completely out of my depth. <laughs> and that is the moon where you go, wow, there's so much more here. And you just allow it. Mm -hmm. Moon, you know, moon months or, you know, moon phases in terms of this card in the archetypal processes of becoming is when you really start to look at your own inner darkness, not in a bad way, but just noticing what, what is there that's under the surface. Remember, the moon only comes out, I mean, the moon does come out during the day, but the moon is like, what can we only see at night through the right. refracted light of the sun? And then we move into the sun, and the sun is literally just like joy, simple pleasures. It's everything the sun does, which is it warms us, it grows us, it nourishes us. And the sun is almost at the end of this journey where you just take in like how beautiful it is to be alive. Yeah. How beautiful this whole journey has become. The card after the sun is the judgment card, which Rachel Pollock calls the awakening card. I call it the no judgment card because this is the point where you are now fully transformed. It goes the lovers, death, and then judgment. They all go um, in that vertical line and it's another choice. Are you choosing to be this new person who has gone through this journey or are you just going to keep being the same old person? 
I think of judgment as a door that arrives at the end of this journey. Are you going to walk through this door to your whole new life, to your whole new way of being, or are you just going to go back to the magician and do it all over again? And well, in one of my decks too, it's known as the past lives card. So to what you were saying about cycles, um, I've always looked at this card too as, yeah, is this an invitation to break the cycle of all your past karma, of your past life's experiences, and actually create a new path for your soul's being? I love that. Yeah, because it is so much, you know, you've been through everything. Now it's like, and especially coming out of the, you know, that moon energy, the sun sort of is like, yeah, it's a break, it's joyful, it's fun, but then you get to judgment and it's like, yes, but... Do you want to just start all over on this plane or do you want to make this an opportunity to have, you know, taken in everything and start a whole new life? And judgment connected to the planet Pluto, which is about that deep soul transformation. Mm -hmm. So judgment's like, okay, I would say if death is death rebirth, the judgment is transformation achieved. Mm -hmm. Like by the time Mm -hmm. you go from death to judgment, the transformation has been achieved And then the last card of the Major Arcana, which is the world, and it's the most mysterious of all the cards. It's the one I can kind of talk about the least because it is that full consciousness that is no longer limited by dualism or ignorance. It's having the ability to experience everything. It is in some ways enlightenment. Rachel Pollack says, the world is you will become a cosmic being and restore a broken universe, which is such a beautiful way to think about it. Yeah, and in my deck, it's called the universe card, actually. Mm. Connected to Saturn, um, which is about the responsibilities that we take to grow up to do the work that our soul came here to do. And the world is that ending and then that beginning. When the world shows up, it's saying, okay, this chapter has fully closed and a new one is about to be written. Yeah, if you think about it from being Saturn, you can look at the fool as the student and Saturn, the universe, as the teacher, you know? But with every good teacher, you are always a student as well, which is why you are then ready to go back to being the fool and start all over again. (laughs) And we always use the fool as this idea like it is it is foolish. Only a fool would go from the chariot to strength or only a fool would go from temperance to the devil. And really only a fool would get to the world and then start over again. Yeah. Which is, again, that energy of Uranus, like nothing is permanent. We have to keep, you know, changing and shifting in order to continue to grow. You said the world being the most mysterious of them. I always find that when it shows up in a reading, on some level, it really means you know the answer. Mm. You know, you know what to do. I you love know, that. The, the, believe the voice yeah. <laughs> that's giving you the response. So that is the major arcana. So that is the map. In a nutshell. Where one card leads to the next. But it also is a solar system where all the cards orbit around each other. Mm. And in a reading, it's really interesting to notice what major arcana cards show up because it isn't always in order. It rarely is in order. And so people can jump around in these archetypal phases of becoming. And when you lay them out the way that I have, you know, these three rows of seven, you do see how they're orbiting around each other, just in the way that I talked about the lovers on top of death, on top of judgment. And these are all about choices and types of choices. Mm -hmm. Or even just to talk about the three lines, um, you know, I call the first line, welcome to the world, 
because you're basically learning how to be in the world in the first place, all mm-hmm. of the different forces that we're under. The second line, there has to be more to life than this, which is basically unlearning everything you learned in the first line mm-hmm. so that you can actually get to the heart of the matter. Also a great Bjork song. And then the third line, which I call the liberation of the light. You know, if the second line is the death and moving into the darkness, the third line is really about the light mm. that we all contain. Mm-hmm. And in a Kabbalistic worldview, you know, when the Godhead or the goddess had shattered, each and every one of us got a little bit of that divine light. And not just each and every one of us, but each and every living thing. Mm-hmm. And I would say each and every thing, because everything has a spirit. And so our job is to figure out how can we liberate that divine light within ourselves. Yeah. And we do that in a lot of ways through the tower, which is that breakdown. And then the star is the experience of that divine light. Yeah, yeah. So I hope this has been interesting for you. It's just the surface of the waters of the major arcana. Yeah. But it gives you a sense of how useful it could be, even if like you're struggling with writing a like a short story and you want to pull one card from the majors to figure out like where in this process am I? Right. If you pull the moon card, you go, okay, I'm pretty close to the end of this creative process right now. There's a lot of strangeness that has been brought up. I don't really know what I'm doing. It's like when you work on a project so hard that you get lost in it, that would be your moon moment. And you just allow that until all of a sudden you wake up one day and you've moved to the sun and you read back the work that you've done. and You go, this is beautiful and this is ready to be released into the world. Yeah, because what you probably didn't realize when you were in the moon phase is that you were just being intuitively guided. So your ego mind was like, I'm confused, while spirit was just like, girl, we got you. Conversely, if you're working on a project and you pull the magician card, it's basically saying like, you don't have a clear intention for this work and you've got to kind of scale all the way back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. What is this trying to achieve? Right. And based on that, everything can move forwards. Mm, That's interesting. What would be fun is for today's or this episode's tarot card, we would Mm -hmm. just pull from the majors. Oh, fun. Just to see what is the message that wants to come through. I like that. All right. So I've got all the majors here in my hand and I'm just kind of shuffling them around. Oh my gosh. What's it going to be? I'm going to shuffle mine too. Oh, are are we each going to pull one? (laughs) Oh my God. Let's do that. Because you've got your majors and I've got mine. All right. So we're each going to pull one. How fun. And is what deck is this for you? Is this the first deck you ever got? No. Oh. The first deck I ever got was the Rider Weight deck. Oh, okay. And my mother gave it to me. Oh, honey. So I'm using the deck that my mom gave me, which, which is, is my Rider Weight deck. Yeah, yeah, I know. And that's so funny. Um, but I use the Toth deck. It's that Crowley deck um, that some people love, some people don't. Yeah. Some people find it a little dark. I live for it. Well, and I'll say I don't use this deck, this Rider Weight deck that my mom gave me. I literally only use it for myself, um, but I'm using it for all of you today. All right, you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. What'd you pull? The moon. Oh, and I pulled the Hierophant. Oh. So why don't you speak to the moon and then I'll speak to the Hierophant. All right. Well, as we were talking about the moon being that card takes you into that Piscean psychic soup, uh, comes after that star healing. So you can really sort of take all of that new knowledge down below the surface into the unconscious realms and sort of connect to intuition, connect to spirit, sort of utilize that moon time as an opportunity to connect with your spiritual sense of wisdom and knowledge for yourself and really pay attention to whatever sort of 
dreamlike messages are coming through for you, visions, symbols, really sort of approaching your life from a place of spiritual warriorship. So, you know, if you're finding synchronicities coming around, pay attention. If you're noticing, you know, numbers, thinking of someone, you know, maybe reach out to them. It's that kind of energy. Yeah, I always say the moon is the temple that the high priestess tends. Mm -hmm. So the moon and the high priestess have a lot of resonance in the sense that they are both invitations into your own psychic and intuitive nature. Um, but the moon also brings up the unconscious and the subconscious and some more of that shadowy strangeness. And also giving yourself permission not to understand everything, but just to experience it. That's also very much the moon. Yeah, trust. And then the Hierophant, which is, again, the outer structure that allows for you to experience that inner esoteric wisdom. So the Hierophant, which is also connected to Taurus, and I think it's very interesting to think about the Taurus-Scorpio polarity, right? Because those are polar opposite signs, and that Taurus is Earth and everything we can feel. But if you go deep enough into Taurus, you end up in Scorpio, which is the deepest waters mm -hmm. and that deep transformation. Where Taurus and Scorpio connect is actually through sex, because Taurus is very much physical, sensual, earthly, loves to fuck. And Scorpio <laughs> is also kind of like a dog with a bone in those deep waters of transformation and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so there's this invitation around transformation that can only happen if you give yourself the container in which to transform. Mm -hmm. So the Hierophant, I think at its essence, is really talking to you about your spiritual container and do you have one. That's why it's a lot easier to go to somebody to hold space for you. You don't go to a healer so that they can heal you. You go to a healer so that they can hold the space around you for you to reconnect to your own inner healer. Right. But it's difficult for you to hold that space around yourself and connect to the inner healer at the same time. And so the Hierophant energy is giving yourself the container, letting somebody else hold space, even if it's just building a crystal grid around yourself before you move into meditation so that you have that outer structure, you have that temple or that sanctuary that facilitates your experience. But let's be real, the Hierophant can also be like, when I go out to the desert, the desert is my temple or my sanctuary in which I get to experience those hidden esoteric experiences. Right. So I would say even just like tending to some sort of like ritual or altar space for yourself within your home, you know, to have some sort of symbol of foundation for yourself um, would be really helpful. So now would be a good time that if you have an altar and you're you know, an altar space, uh, to sort of tend to it. Uh, and if you don't have one, now is the time. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in, for opening your hearts and your ears and your minds and your spirits to what we have to say here. Um, we're so grateful for the deepening and widening community that's being built around this podcast. But if you would help us help you by rating the podcast five stars or leaving us a review, that would be tremendously meaningful to us. Yeah, we would also love it too if you would just, uh, you know, share the podcast with a few people if you're in love with it, uh, you know, and you know some folks who might want to be a part of the Spiritual Gaze community. Please don't be shy and put it out there into the world. Uh, you can always find us on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze or Twitter at Spiritual Gaze um, or, uh, yes, on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify. Uh, 
And a big thank you to our neighbor Carl for all of his work uh, in helping us with the production of this show. And of course, to Justin Simeon for his interstitial music. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual game.